Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I am very excited to have you here with us today. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and hopefully continuing to receive their COVID vaccines. Um, I also want to send prayers of healing and comfort to the families of those loved ones that were killed in the mass shooting yesterday in Boulder, Colorado. Um, And I also want to express my condolences to the family of Officer Eric Talley, who was the first officer to respond to this horrific scene and also want to express uh, just prayer and support for the families of those four people that were killed in Georgia last week. So um, all of these are just terrible tragedies, and and we are just holding you all in prayer at this time. Uh, With that, we have a great guest with us today, and we're going to talk about tissue and eye donation. And I'm really excited to jump into this topic because we don't talk about it enough We hear so much about donation and particularly it's about organ donation. And so my guest today is very respected in this field and just um, is, has so much knowledge. And so I'm really excited that he was able to come in and talk with us today. Just a reminder, April is National Donate Life Month, and this is a perfect time to learn more about organized tissue donation and really uh, find out how you can help other people. And then I just want to remind you, as we continue uh, to navigate COVID, we are still also in the midst of an organ shortage, and we need more people to register to be donors. I know there is a lot of misinformation out there uh, for a host of reasons, uh, mainly centered around distrust of our medical system, but that's not an excuse because it's still misinformation. So I really just encourage people to um, advocate for themselves. Um, advocate for self-determination and get information that is based on facts and not fear and register at lifepassingon.org. So with that, I would like to welcome Mr. Robert Winter to the show. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? Afternoon, Andy. I'm doing well. Good. Thank you so much for being here. So can you tell our listeners, how long have you been involved in tissue donation? So my career in, in donation and particularly in tissue donation, I've been involved in the field over 25 years. Okay. Yeah. And what made you choose this kind of work? So for me, it was, it was truly about finding a profession or finding a field that was not only giving back, but was helping our community and helping, helping families, people get better. I mean, I think for me, the medical field has always been a strong interest of mine. And just like a lot of other people that are involved in donation, most people just kind of, it happens to them or they fall into Mm it. Mm -hmm. It's um, not many people start out and say that that's what they want to be in. So I think that's truly the unique thing about this field is that we are 
we have so many employees that come from such a diverse background, Mm -hmm. um, but they all have a commonality is that they want to work for a mission-driven company, a company that um, is Mm communal-based and a company that tries every day to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So can you describe to our listeners how, because I just, I feel like there's this lack of understanding about tissue donation how it helps people. Could you talk kind of at a high level, if you will, about the process? Sure. And, and to your point, um, you know, there's, there's so many more people have the opportunity to donate primarily, primarily corneal tissue that can be used to save the sight of up to two people. And then kind of tears down from there as far as for tissue donation, which would encompass um, skin recovery, which can be used for burn and wound care. Um, and that's truly the, I would say, out of anything, the most kind of life-saving gift mm-hmm. for tissue donation. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the burn patients that are um, have, have a total surface body area of burn, whether that be second or third degree, that is over 80 or 90%. The best option for them is to receive kind of human skin grafts or allografts, and that really saves their life. It buys them time and it saves their life from all of the kind of complexities that come along with, with suffering that type of injury. Because infection, I would, I would imagine, is... Yeah, they die. Burn patients primarily die from... Because your skin is your body's first line of defense against any kind of organisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that that barrier is now no longer there. They are very susceptible to, to infection. Thermoregulation is a huge issue mm. as far as body temperature. And really, this the skin allografts is a temporary covering that really um, allows them and their body to get better. Um, it's a very complicated process and long process. But, you know, we've been fortunate enough to highlight some of those stories at Life Center. Yeah, I was going to mention... We actually have, so there's two patients that come to mind, young man, Danny Happy. And then we had a speaker at an event here several years ago, Jason Schechterly. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. their, their circumstances? Both, both, both really incredible and inspiring stories. Jason is um, well known in the burn survivor and actually in the OPO world. He was a Phoenix police officer who suffered third and fourth degree burns when his his police cruiser was hit by a taxi cab from behind going somewhere on the close to 100 miles an hour, I believe. And um, he was in a um, he was in a Ford Crown Victoria, which then exploded because hitting from the rear and. Yeah, he's got a really incredible story, and um, he's he is a um, he's a motivational speaker also. Mm-hmm. But for him to share the details of his survival and the fact that the details of his survival came down to not only just minutes but seconds of circumstances, and the fact that his crash was literally down the road from Maricopa, Maricopa County Burn Center. Which and, is in Arizona, which correct? Is in, it, which is in Arizona. Yeah. And if he hadn't been that close, and if he hadn't 
there hadn't been a fire engine that was responding to a different uh, call that literally got to him. Uh, I think in less than a minute from the time that his car got hit, he wouldn't have survived. So really, really incredible story um, just of a person who has persevered and really just found a purpose in such tragedy. And um, he not only advocated for being a burn survivor, but advocated to change the design of a lot of cars for Ford, Ford Motor Company so that this wouldn't wow. happen again. And unfortunately, it did happen um, from the time um, that he had his accident um, for them to change design on a few of their cars. But really just an, an incredible, and as Andy, as you all know, I mean, he, I mean, he just had, he, listening to him tell his story mm-hmm. and having him speak is just, it really, um, it really makes you think about a lot of things and be thankful for Gives what you, you have in perspective. life. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, as you all know, Andy, um, fortunately, you and I were able to spend some time with him when he came in to speak and got to know him a little bit on a personal level and just a really, really genuinely just incredible human being. Yes. And uh, I think both, both you and I were just awestruck at the fact that um, he had enough personal confidence not to, I would say, be conscious of the way he looks. Because, I mean, yeah. he is definitely, he is, um, you can tell that he has survived those injuries. Right. So. Right. Really, really just inspiring. Yeah. And then Danny Happy's story, um, you know, he was, um, you know, suffered these types of injuries when he was a 10-year-old in Orlando, Florida. And he was then air flighted from Orlando to Cincinnati and then had all of his care at the Shriners Burns Hospital for Children here in Cincinnati, which when it was still located here. And he was in acute care for um, several months. And... Danny received over 200 square feet of allograft skin that saved his life. Wow. So if you put wow. that in perspective, that's, you know, upwards to, if you look at it from a conservative end, 50 to 60 donor families had to yeah. either make the decision or make, make the decision for donation or honor their loved one's de- decision to be a donor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, out of that, there was a fair amount of donors that were recovered here by Life Center in Cincinnati that, went to go save his life. So um, really incredible story. I mean, unfortunately, he, his family lost his younger sister in the fire. And um, he and his mom moved here to Cincinnati because of all his care. And he went through his high school years here in Cincinnati. And um, I wouldn't say I've lost touch with him, but I haven't, I haven't touched base with him in, in, in a bit. But it really just an inspiring story to know that we're, we're part of um, his journey and saving, saving his life. Um, and ultimately it's the families that, that donated that really enabled us to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, those, those are the kind of stories that you have to kind of, um, turf back to, uh, when you're having a bad day or you're questioning, you know, whether, you know, this is the right journey for you in, in your career, but those, they're so inspiring to know that we are a part of that mm-hmm. and everybody, and I actually just spoke to my staff last week and said everybody should be proud that they're on a team that can accomplish those kind of a th- kind of things. And, um, you know, I think we say here at Law Life Center that, you know, we're here and we're approaching families on one of the worst days in their life. Right. But 
You know, we, I think, do an incredible job, whether we're approaching in person or approaching a family over the phone, of um, helping a family through that process and being respectful of that family and respectful of their loss. But also knowing that, you know, donation can mean so much to so many families. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's being able to express that. It's being able to express what donation will mean to them, the recipients that those gifts are potentially going to be able to help. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, three months, six months, a year down the road, that a family is going to be so grateful that, that their loved one either made this decision or they were able to make this decision for their loved one because donation is just such a powerful option for, for so many. Yeah. And I think too, it, it, it helps people um, who have lost someone kind of during, in that grief journey to know that, that, you know, their son, daughter, husband, wife, you know, um, whomever it is, was able to go forward, you know, in death, but also, but be able to leave this legacy. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's a challenge, not only for Life Center, but for, you know, all donation organizations is, is really just um, ensuring that families are making an, an informed decision or they're yeah. getting informed. And I think a large part of that, of what that the OPO world and also Life Center has done is making sure that the uh, the information is out there in our um, in our society and that yeah. we are when people make a decision to be registered that we feel that that is an informed decision that they know what that means right. when they get asked the question whether that be through you know the BMV or whether they're going online that they know that that what that means right and um, and that speaks to what I was saying earlier just kind of advocating for your own self-determination and you make that decision, then you take the step to understand what that decision truly means and how it, it can help other people. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the and also alleviate some chaos within the family. Correct. Because ultimately, know. ultimately, you know, any decision that's made by yourself about yourself for when you're no longer here can be a great comfort to your family to know that they're not burdened with having to make that choice right. or that decision. You know, there's a lot of similarities from, you know, from people making a decision, you know, obviously about any kind of funeral arrangements or, mm -hmm. you know, what they want. It's along the same lines, but, you know, we still have families that struggle with the fact that their loved one made that decision and either they didn't know or they don't want to believe that they knew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for Life Center, that's, that's, that's a challenge mm -hmm. and can be a challenge of how do we communicate that to them and be an advocate for their loved one who registered to be a donor. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's, that can be both a challenging and a rewarding part of our daily, our mm -hmm. daily journey here at Life Center. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, we, we, we truly believe that that is the best thing, not only for that family member that we're talking to, but also for other family members that are going to get great solace out of knowing that their loved one is potentially going to save somebody's life yeah. or help from two to 200 people right. have a quality of life back that they would never have by the generosity of somebody that there's a great propensity that they might not ever get to meet or know who it is. Right. So I, I think that, 
you know, we've tried to do a better job of communicating to families um, the gifts that they're able to donate and the potential people that they're able to help. Um, and on the tissue, especially on the tissue side, that journey is such a longer journey and a longer story to tell. It takes not only months, sometimes can take six months to a year for that, all that information to be kind of compiled, or I don't even want to say compiled or tallied, but for those gifts to be then fashioned and processed into gifts that are going to be able to be used in different types of surgeries. Right. So I think that's, that's been one of the challenges for tissue donation is organ donation. You know, obviously we are able to express the families in a fairly quick manner who their loved one is able to help. Right. And even through corneal donation, um, that can occur somewhere between, you know, on the short end, probably two to three days to seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a little bit more immediacy to that. I think the, um, one of the great things that's kind of enveloped is a lot more tissue gifts that we recovered are able to be utilized in a shorter time frame. Mm -hmm. We have kind of some articulating um, graph from the from the knee and the ankle that can be used within 14 to 28 days. Okay. So I think that um, we've have been in instances where families have reached out to us and we've been able to give them a little bit more of an immediate, Hey, your loved one was able to help, yes. you know, this many people in this short a period of time. And I think the, the ability for those, for those types of donors, primarily those are from a younger age, category of donors that we're able to recover those kind of articulating surface, whether grafts, cartilage, meniscus. And I think the, the, the neat thing about those gifts is they're actually helping younger people. Yes. And individuals who wouldn't have really a lot of options because of their age, you know, as far as getting a total knee or total hip, things of that nature. So there's a lot of stories and a lot of, a lot of recipient stories of younger people who have either been marathon runners or triathletes or, you know, a lot of things that, that, and they've been able to getting back to compete, which is just, it's an incredible story to know that once again, the generosity of, of, of somebody that was a donor helped them achieve a quality of life that they never would have been able to achieve without that. I recall there a young woman who was injured in the Columbine shooting years ago. Do you remember that story? Yes, I do. I don't. Um, and and she she was able to receive. Um, or, oh, what? so so she received an injury um, in her shot in, her in her shoulder. Yeah. So then she actually has received, I believe, two allographs in that region, probably upper bone allografts, mm-hmm. um, humerus with some articulating surfaces. I actually believe that all of her care was done by um, Dr. Ross Wilkins, who mm-hmm. was associated with Allosaurus. I think he retired last year, but he was with. And for our listeners, can you tell, sure. can, you t- can you say what Allosaurus is? So Allosaurus is our recovery processing partner. They're another nonprofit organization mm-hmm. based out of Centennial, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So all the gifts that we recover, um, we partner with them and they are then responsible for the kind of processing and or configuring or shaping the gifts that we recover into gifts that are going to be used 
in orthopedic and neurological surgeries and okay and burn surgeries and so it it it's a you know they're kind of step two of a three step process if you were going to think it in a pretty simplistic terms okay. step one being um, you know life center recovering those gifts and kind of the second step is them processing getting those prepared for to be used in a surgical environment and then step three being them actually being transplanted okay so okay. in in simplistic terms it's yeah. the easy way to think through it so um, dr Wilkins was associated with um, Alice Orson also um, founded the Limb Preservation Foundation, which is a foundation based out of Colorado that uses a lot of allographs. And um, yeah, pretty incredible story. She has spoken to multiple OPOs about, you know, her journey and how that changed her life. And actually, I don't re recall her, the name of her book, but actually wrote a book about mm -hmm. her journey. So did, yeah. yeah pretty inspiring and that occurred to her when she was 16 or 17 right so um you know it's been a lot huge part of her and pretty much her adult life of mm -hmm. of dealing with that but you know once again it, it's just so inspiring to hear that people that have kind of been through these i don't know what term to use but you know tragedies life-changing life-changing yeah. events and yeah. they use it as a positive and they don't use it to to define them or um, pin right. them in 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 one category. Right. So for and also for her to share that story and to share how she struggled and to share that you know that you know she used that as a conduit to really succeed in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty neat. Something that I have found interesting is you know we've encountered people who have had different types of surgeries, um, be it knee surgeries, spine surgeries, dental surgeries. And what I've learned is most often it is tissue from a donor, cadaver tissue that has helped with these surgeries. Yet these folks have no idea. What is the disconnect there, do you think? Yeah, I know that it really has been an edict even for you know one of the associations that we're a member of, which is the American Association of Tissue Banks, of trying to really educate physicians, trying to educate the orthopedic surgeons, mm -hmm. and they, um, from orthopedic surgeons to podiatrists to dentists mm -hmm. to all the array of different gifts that are going to be utilized, and um, trying to educate them that it's important that they know that they're. Mm -hmm. um, patients are receiving an allograft or a tissue that was donated by somebody. It's, right. It was a altruistic gift. Right. And, you know, I know all of the recovery agencies and processors involved in the tissue side have worked very hard to ensure that if somebody is a recipient, that, you know, the literature is there so they know what they received mm -hmm. and also that they have the ability to write to their donor family saying, I received, and I'm thankful for that and share whatever they want to share. Mm -hmm. Cause it means, it can mean so much to a family yeah. to know that somebody received and somebody cared enough to communicate that back yeah. and say, thank you and say, thank you. And yeah. that, you know, that can, that can bring a lot of, uh, a lot of joy to a donor family. And then, you know, I've heard stories where, you know, they, 
you know, some families are hesitant because it brings back memories of the loss, but also that reading these correspondence really just brings them so much joy and remembering the positive, remembering the positive things about their loved one that they lost, which is really what it should be, you know, really about not remembering, you know, the loss part of it, but keeping in their mind what joy that brought to their life. Right. And now they're living that life through others, through donation. Right. Yeah. What do you find to be most challenging or defeating in this, in this work? I think the the challenge um, on a day-to-day basis is that, you know, we are dealing with families that are going through extreme loss Mm -hmm. and that's difficult. Mm -hmm. That's difficult on um, not that, we don't have staff members who are empathetic and are trained and, you know, are want to be there for that family. Mm -hmm. But that's, that, that, that is truly a challenge. And I'm just in awe of the staff members who keep a positive attitude and, and want to do that. They, they enjoy being there for those families Mm -hmm. and knowing that this is going to help them. I think a defeating aspect of donation is that there's, there's still just so many, it, it's just hard to believe that some of the myths that have been out there about people believing that right. pick an option, whether that their loved one, the hospital's not going to save their loved one because they know they're a donor right. or they saw it on their card or that, you know, there's just so many inaccuracies that seem to just never go away. Yeah. And you know, I, I think the other defeating aspect is when we do have a registered donor um, and then a family chooses not to work with us. Mm-hmm. And this is primarily when we are approaching family over a phone and they, it's just, even though we try to be very respectful and try to ensure to them that their loved one made this decision, sometimes we just, we can't communicate that in the short amount of time that we have to do that. Right. So, and ultimately, because I think that we as an organization are here to ensure that if somebody made a decision that we are going to follow through with that choice. Right. And, you know, I, I, we've really tried to get away from saying that, that it is a wish because it's not a wish. Right. If, if somebody chose to join the registry, whether that be through um, the BMV, whether that be through online, whether that be through a whole different varieties of how you can register, be a donor, that that person made that choice and that we are here to ensure that they have the ability to help somebody. Right. Because that was the decision that they made. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you find to be most rewarding? Oh, I I think the most rewarding aspect of, of, of working in donation is that, you know, we, we work for an mission driven company and that, we are here for the needs of our community. But I think the most rewarding thing for anybody that's in donation is really knowing that um, people's lives are being saved and that people's lives are being dramatically improved and that there are people who get so many more years out of their lives Mm -hmm. with their families by the generosity of somebody that said yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that the, um, kind of the joy part of it is, is, is pretty easy. If you, if you focus on 
the recipients and on the donor families and focus on, on getting to know people and their journey through that and how much it means to them. Mm -hmm. And Andy, as you well know, I mean, when you're involved in donation for, you know, a period of time, you're going to know people on a personal level. Mm -hmm. You're going to know people that you grew up with that have lost a loved one. You're going to know people that you grew up with that have received. Mm -hmm. And just seeing the envelopment of how donation has really just affected so many lives. It's, it's, it really is um, empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me into your uh, live on layer on, <laughs> on air layer um, to, to, to discuss this. Cause I, yeah. to your point, I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think life center has done a really good job as a, a company of really just trying to tell the entire donation message because it is important and that, you know, it, it is, we have the ability for people to make an educated choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, uh, I think that is a, uh, it's always a lofty goal for us to, in, to say that we're going to increase the donor registration by right. four or five percentage points or however, however you want to move the needle yeah. a year. And we might not always ever achieve that, but I think that has to be the goal to educate people. I agree. Yeah. I also, I just, I recall having a conversation um, with a, a donor father um, and he, he grew up in a, in a neighborhood where donation was frowned upon and you just didn't do it. And it's African-American neighborhood. And, and he said, you know, he said, you have to really, kind of put yourself in the other seat and think about if that was your child or your loved one who was in need, what would, you know, your hope, your prayer would be that someone would be generous enough to make that decision. And so I just, I encourage people to think, think about this holistically and think about how it really can help others. I think, I think perspective in life is sometimes a, a a tough thing to, to communicate or envelop on somebody. But I think that's a great point that I think we're, we're so blessed to hear stories and for families to share their experience. Cause I think it just, it really brings us back and grounds us every time we hear it. Mm -hmm. And it really isn't, it really inspires. I know a lot of people inspires me on a daily basis Mm -hmm. to do my best Mm -hmm. and to lead and to lead my team to ensure that we're doing what we can for everybody that mm-hmm. that we approach mm-hmm. or that we have the opportunity to talk to about right. about donation. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with me um, and really kind of dive a little deeper into tissue and cornea donation because I think it is a really important topic that we don't discuss enough. And so I will definitely be having you back at some point. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. So as I close, I want to remind everyone that there are 107,750 men, women, and children in need of life-saving organ transplants in our country. And there are so many more who are so in need of life-changing tissue and cornea transplants. Today, as of today, about 1,800 people have died waiting for a transplant. What can you do to help? You can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor, 
or consider and do your research about being a living kidney donor because the vast majority of those in need of life-saving transplants are those waiting for kidneys. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to yourself and to others. This episode is brought to you by LifeCenter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.